Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message will be both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. If you missed this service, we hope to see you this Sunday at either 8.45 a.m. for our praise and worship service or 11 a.m. for our traditional service. Now, here's this week's message. So I'm glad to be here with you this morning as we continue our belief series. Remember, for 10 weeks, we're looking at the core beliefs of the Christian faith and just kind of going over them. I hope many of them are a review for you. Remember, last week we learned that there is one true God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who has created all things. He's a powerful God, and today we're going to talk about that a little bit further. We're still talking about God, but a unique aspect to the Christian faith Today we're going to talk about the fact that we have a relational God who loves us and cares about us. And the key belief is, I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. And honestly, this is one of those core beliefs as a Jesus follower, just like you on a journey in this life. This is one of those core beliefs that I probably struggle with more than any of them. I think it's just really hard to embrace and live out. See, I have this best friend. Uh, his name is David. I've known him for 27 years. And some of you are like, oh, Ryan, I didn't even know you were older than 27. That's pretty amazing, all right? Okay, yes, I am. But I've, I, he's been my best friend for 27 years, and we did everything growing up. And if you have one of those best friends, they're very different than your spouse, aren't they? All right, see, Jessica married me for my good looks and my money. She found out I was going to be a preacher, and she was like, wow, this guy's going to be loaded. I'm excited. And, and she joined as a joke. All right, we're starting on a joke this morning, okay? No, but David, he knew me before anything. We lived right down the street from each other. We would play in the woods. We just did everything together. In fact, when I turned 18, I moved out of the house. Guess who I moved in with? David, right? And did you know we worked together at the same job for like six years before that? Not six years. That, doesn't, that math doesn't make sense, okay? I wasn't 12 when I started working. But we worked in the same ministry for three years before that, and then we worked in the same ministry for about eight years after that. So David, I mean, we did everything. Even when I moved out of my neighborhood as a kid, he would come over every single Tuesday. His, his girlfriend knew that. My girlfriend knew that. That would be our guy time. We did everything, and it was always hard for people to hang around us, especially, like, girlfriends, because no matter how much they wanted to be number one, they weren't, right? Because we could talk. I would just say this one thing every time, be like, hey, Jeff's house. We would belly laugh for 30 minutes. They'd be like, come on, what happened? We're like, we're never going to tell you, ever. It's an inside joke you'll never know. I mean, he knows everything about me. One thing about him as a pastor, it's hard for me just to be myself wherever I go. But with David, I can't tell David anything. And it doesn't matter what it is. It will not scare him. It will not bother him. He won't judge me. I mean, he's known me for a long time. It doesn't matter how famous I become. I could always trust David. In fact, he cares about me. When I was 18, I told you we moved out together and ended up losing one job, started a new career, and I didn't make any money. He carried my bills for like 18 months. And he had this spiral notebook that he would track every dollar that I borrowed from him. It was over $3,000 by the time. That's a lot of money, isn't it? Especially when you're that young, but he carried me. I remember when I was in Richmond, which is about an hour from the house. I don't remember exactly why I was there, but I needed a ride back. Guess who I called? 
David, guess who came and picked me up at 12 o'clock at night? David, y'all got a friend like that? Some of y'all are like, well, no. Well, I hope, I hope you do. I hope you get one because it's an amazing thing. And what's hard for me to embrace is that the creator of all things, the God of the universe wants a personal relationship with me like that, that knows me better than that, that wants to be involved in my life on a deeper level than that. I mean, if we were honest, we'd probably be like, well, you know, I know God's there and I know he loves me, but it, we kind of want to keep it at arm's length, don't we? Kind of like a Facebook friend or a parent. We want to give them the highlight, but we don't want them to get in, him to be involved in every aspect and nook and cranny of our lives. But God, God wants an intimate, personal relationship with each and every one of us. In fact, it is the most important thing in your life. And if you're not letting God invade every aspect of your life, then by default, you're allowing other things and other worldviews to control you, to lead you, to guide you. For instance, there's this one idea called materialism. Now, we've probably used this word or heard of it before, but it's a, it's a real thing. The definition's going to be up here. It says, materialism denies the existence of God, and they believe that the material universe is all there is. And so if all there is is the material universe, what do you do? You, you eat, drink, and be merry, right? Paul says something like that. You just get everything you can. And Wayne Grudem says this. He says, Christians today who focus almost entirely Efforts on their lives, on earning more money and acquiring more possessions become practical materialists in their activity since their lives would not, look, would not be much different if they did not believe in God at all. And that little quote bothers me. He's saying that Christians, most Christians, or a lot of Christians are basically materialists. That whether there's a God or whether there wasn't a God wouldn't matter on what they do with their finances, their careers, and their wealth. And it makes you think, doesn't it? If I didn't believe in God... What would my career look like? What would my finances look like? What would I try to acquire? But since I do, is my life actually changed because I believe in God in this materialistic worldview? Or another view is that God's there, but he's really not involved in every aspect. Maybe you've heard this before, it's called deism. It says this, is the view that God is not now directly involved in the creation. It says they deny God's present involvement in the world, thus leaving no place for his eminence in the creative order. Rather, God is viewed as a divine clockmaker who wound up the clock of creation at the beginning, but then left it to run on its own. And if you believe in something like deism, it's like, okay, well, God is there, but he doesn't really care about little old me. I mean, I'm insignificant. He's, he's not really involved. You see, what this will stop us from doing then? If we don't believe God really cares, do you think we'll pray a lot? If we don't think God's involved in every aspect of our life, do we really need to come worship him? Do we really trust him? See, these are common views that people just hold to by accident or maybe on purpose. It's just the world we live in. But the scriptures will not allow us to hold to either of these things and the plethora of others that people believe. Because we believe, the scriptures teach us that God is involved in and cares about our daily lives. You see, God is a personal God who knows you, who cares about you, and has a plan for you. And when you embrace this, when we embrace this, it will change absolutely everything for you. 
that God really does care. And I just want to show you two people in Scripture this morning who, when they embrace this idea that God really is involved in every nook and cranny of their life, it radically changed their lives. You've probably heard this one before. It's Jeremiah 1.5. It says this. Jeremiah, excuse me, God spoke to Jeremiah and said this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. In this one short verse, we see that God knows Jeremiah. God cared enough to form him. Can you believe that God formed you in the womb? Is that hard for you to grasp? That God knows you, that God formed you. God set him apart and appointed him to be a prophet, which means he had a plan for his life. He says, Jeremiah, I knew about you before your mom and dad even thought about you. Look at what Jeremiah says this. He says, Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. Jeremiah's like us. He doesn't think he's qualified for the job. You think that if God used you or God called you, you'd be like, you know what? I'm just not good enough. I'm not gifted enough. Jeremiah's like, look, I, I can't do this because Jeremiah understands the depth of this relationship that if God cares for him, God knows him, and God has called him and has a plan for him, that means Jeremiah is going to have to reorient his life around God and not have God try to come in when it kind of fits him, like, God, I need you today. Instead, Jeremiah is going to have to reorient his life around God's plan for his life. But God says, listen, Jeremiah, you're not qualified because of what you've done. You're qualified because of what I'm going to do through you. Look at what he says. He says, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appointed you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God tells Jeremiah, he says, I'm going to be with you everywhere you go. Did you know you're not alone? You may feel that way, but God is with you. He is with you every step of the way. And Jeremiah embraced this idea that God really knows him. I mean, really knew the depths of his heart. That God cared enough to be there with him every step of the way. And that God had a plan. And that's the reason we still talk about Jeremiah today. And he wrote a book in the Bible. Because he knew this intimate relationship with God would change everything. And it radically changed everything in Jeremiah's life. I want to show you one more example in the New Testament. If you have your Bible, you can turn it to John 1, chapter 1, verse 43. It says, The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip is called by God. He's excited that he's found the Messiah, the long-awaited one, the one that the scriptures have been pointing to. And it's natural. Well, it's the same thing you do. Think about it. When a life-changing event happens, what do you do? Life hasn't changed recently. All right, we've got to talk about personal growth this morning. When a life-changing event happens, you tell people. You tell your friends, you tell your family, you get that promotion, something exciting happens, you tell people. Or maybe you tweet it or you Facebook it. I don't know. Whatever you do. You like to share these great things that happen. And so that's what Philip does. He goes and tells Nathaniel. 
He says, you got to come see this. We found Jesus. Just a side note, do you know the difference we would make in our community if we went out and just told people the life-changing message of Jesus Christ? If we went out and just told people what Jesus has done in our life? See, he doesn't claim to have all the answers. He doesn't pretend to know how it works. He just says, come on. Nathaniel, you got to check this out for yourself. This Jesus. Look at what Nathaniel says. He says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. This is the equivalent of someone telling the people in Conway, hey, there's something great going on at Myrtle Beach. You'd be like, Myrtle Beach? Can anything good actually happen in Myrtle Beach? We're like, no, it can't. That, that's what... That's what Nathaniel's saying. He's like, really? I don't, I don't see that happening. And when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, here truly is, this is what Jesus says to Nathaniel, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And it's hard to pick up this from just a quick casual reading. But what Jesus says to Nathaniel is pretty big. He's speaking to Nathaniel's character. Remember Jacob in the Old Testament? Remember Esau and Jacob? Remember he got his name changed to Israel? Remember Jacob constantly deceived people and it seemed to work? Like he got his way all the time by lying and, and doing this stuff. And so Jesus is doing a play here and he's saying, look, here's a true Israelite. Someone who doesn't have deceit like Jacob does. So he's speaking to something personal about Nathaniel. Maybe his personal integrity. Maybe a value he stands on. But he's speaking to Nathaniel in a way that he gets this. So Nathaniel says, how do you know me? So evidently this rung true. He's speaking of some personal aspect of Nathaniel's life. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So evidently this struck something big with Nathaniel. Jesus says, I know you. I saw you under that tree. Do you know what was happening under the tree? absolutely no idea. You thought I was going to answer. I have no idea. It doesn't tell us. But it spoke to him in such a way that he was excited. He just couldn't believe it because Nathan, Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. When Nathaniel understood the depth that Jesus knew him, when he understood that he's seen him and talked about him and really knew his personal life, his confession changed. And he says, Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. So Jesus now speaks of the plan that he has for Nathaniel's life. Just from these two examples, we see that when people embraced that God is an intimate God, a God who cares about him, a God who has a plan for him, it absolutely changed everything for them. And you may be sitting here today going, yeah, but that's them in the Bible. But what you have to personally embrace is that God knows you, God cares about you, and God actually has a plan for your life. And those are the three points we're going to go over, and I'm going to keep repeating myself today because I think we know this, but do we embrace this? Do we really live as if God cares and he has a plan and he deeply wants to know us? Because first point is God knows you, which means he has already accepted you. Did you know all that stuff that you don't want anybody else to know, those deep, dark secrets, that deep, dark stuff, that stuff that's hidden way, way in the back, you're like, no one can ever find this out? You know he already knows and he loves you anyways? Look at Psalm 139. It says, you 
have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful, too lofty for me to attain. God already knows everything about you. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Some of us, it's getting a little lighter, isn't it? But he knows you in a deep, intimate way. You don't have to prove anything to him. You're already loved. You're already accepted. And some of us were striving for the approval of people in our lives. But know what you're seeking is God, and he already approves you through Jesus Christ. You don't have to earn it. He already loves you. And God cares about you, which means he has your best interest in mind. Look at this. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Knowing we have a personal God who's involved in our daily lives means we don't have to be professional warriors. Who's a professional warrior here? All right, some of us are being honest today, okay. If God knows you and God loves you, you don't have to worry. Worrying means it's all about the future. It's all about what might be. But if God cares for you, Peter says, cast your anxieties, give it to him, and let him take care of it doesn't mean we're always going to understand it, but we do. It does mean that he has the best interest, our best interest at heart. You know, I've, Troy's had two cavities before, and we keep telling him to brush his teeth, and he doesn't listen that well, right? Just like any eight-year-old, almost eight-year-old does. And when we were taking him to the dentist to get these cavities work on him, and he was scared. You, any of you have cavities done before? Everybody's hand should go up. Come on now, let's be honest. All right. So yeah, it, it's kind of frightful for us. You got a needle and you got a drill. And here Troy's for seven years old and he didn't want to do it. But daddy had to say, no, buddy, you're, you, you got to get this cavity fixed. You got to sit there. You don't want that tooth to rot, buddy. I promise you, you don't want that tooth to rot. My point is, and you get it, is sometimes we go through things in life. We don't understand what God's doing. We don't understand why we're going through them. But he's working on us. And knowing that he cares we can trust him as we kind of go through sometimes we've got to sit in that dentist chair to get things taken care of knowing that it'll all work out as Scott talked about for the good and then lastly we see that God has a plan for your life Proverbs 16 9 says in their hearts human play in their course but the Lord establishes their steps there's a lot of different verses that tell us that God has a plan I love this one because it shows the dynamic of of we kind of work things things out like we still have to put some thought into where we're going and what we're doing or what he's calling us to but he directs that action step he's there the whole time guiding us this is really important because some of us have been fighting God and God's call on our lives for 20 years 30 years two years we know he's asking us to do something but we just don't trust that it's going to work out knowing he has a plan means we can trust that we can take that step. We can move forward in it. Because we believe, and I believe, and I hope you believe, that God is involved in and cares about our daily life. So God wants a personal, 
intimate relationship with each one of us. Which means we don't want to keep him at arm's length. We don't want him not to be involved. We want to involve him in everything we do because we believe it's going to be for the best. But how do we live that out on a daily basis? We're like, okay, fine. God cares about me. He knows me, loves me. What, what do I do? How does that work? What are the action steps? Which James, the brother of Jesus, helps us with this. He says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Or draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So we've got three action steps this morning. I know. Got three points and then three action steps. I had old school Baptist message, and I'm excited about it this morning, okay? Three action steps. Number one, I hope this is a review for you, but talk with God. This is one of those things that can give us massive guilt trips. I know for me, prayer is one of those things that people can make me feel very bad about. When I was in seminary, I had to read a bunch of books, and I read this one book by this guy who would schedule an hour every single day to go to a dark room by himself to pray for an hour during lunch. Some of us are like, I know I do that every day, and I am jealous of you. My personality will not allow me to do that. I will go to the dark room. I will start praying and then I'll fall asleep or I'll start thinking about work or I'll start doing push-ups. Everything else will happen along with prayer. So I used to feel really bad about just my personality, about why I can't do things that other people can do. And what I learned, and I hope you learned, is that you can talk with God anywhere. And while I try to have scheduled prayer time, I try to go through the Lord's Prayer, my natural personality is just to do things on a whim, meaning you may get a phone call from me just because. And that's how I talk to God. I'm driving down the road and I just start talking. Or I'm sitting in the office, just start talking. I mean, when I'm at home, I talk to him all the time, right? Lord, help me not kill these kids. Lord, please intervene on their behalf right now. But I, I involve him all the time. And so for you, just how would you talk to your best friend? Would you schedule a meeting with your best friend? Like, all right, today at 8 o'clock, we're going to get together for 15. No. Your best friend, you could just show up at their house. You can call whenever you want. That's the idea is, is get past the formalities with God and really talk with them. Share with them your pains and your struggles and your fears and your heartaches. Really talk with God. And if we talk to him just like any relationship, what do we got to do in return? All right, listen to God. You're already with me. You should have preached this today. Let me know. I'll let you preach next week, okay? So number two is listen to God. And how do we do that? Sometimes we get the prompting from the Spirit. Some of us, you know, the Holy Spirit talks to us in ways that we feel that he's leading us to. Um, generally, sometimes we get these ideas that we just feel that God's leading us away. But generally, and to be a little more certain about it, we know God speaks through what? The Scriptures. All right, this is one of those reasons why we want you to and why I believe you should get into God's word is because when we have other worldviews or we think that God's really not involved or we have those fears or we have those concerns, they're just going to grow if you don't get into God's word. God's word will pull you back and correct you. You'll be like, you know what? That's not true. That's, I don't know why I believe that. That's not what God teaches us. And so we want to get into his word. And he doesn't teach us through some boring theological textbook. He teaches us through poems and through stories. And just the scriptures are amazing if you really give it a chance. And again, I don't want to make you feel guilty about not studying scriptures enough. Guilt doesn't lead to change. You know that. Guilt leads to anger. 
How many of us have planned to read the Bibles, then we don't read the Bible, then we get mad at ourselves for not reading the Bible. So we're like, you know what, fine, I got a great idea. I just will never plan to read the Bible so I don't feel bad about it, right? Let's be honest, if something makes you feel bad, you reject it. The point of prayer, the point of God's word is not to make you feel bad, but to encourage you and strengthen you. And for me, I get into God's word, I get, I get paid to read the Bible. Can you believe that? like, well, you got a lucky job. I know. But one of the best things for me to do to be outside of my lesson for the week is I've been using the Bible app. Anybody got a phone here? Nobody's participating. All of you have a phone. Raise your hand. All right, we have a phone. All right, there's this app called the Bible app. How many know the Bible app? All right, five of us. Okay, the rest of us who don't, there's an app called the Bible app in the store. But they have the um, audible version. Most of you already know that. So basically you could press play and it'll read the Bible to you. And I don't know about you, but if you've never listened to someone else reading the Bible, like a professional speaker who doesn't mess the names up like I do all the time, right? But if you just listen to it, it's powerful. And I get some of my best studying done by just driving in the car and just putting on the Bible and letting it talk to me. And just listening. I hear things that I wouldn't have heard if I was reading it. And so maybe that's the way you're going to get into God's Word is just by using the Bible. Do it. An audible Bible. Some of us have CDs. Some of us may have tapes. I don't know how you're going to play them, but use them. Right? Let it speak to you. And then lastly, we talk with God, we listen to God, but involve God in your daily life. Which means we got to be doing things that we want God to be involved in, don't we? Like on Friday night, do we really want God to come with us? Right? We want him to be there on Saturday morning to save us from what we did on Friday night, don't we? But do we really want, we need to involve him in everything we do. You see, one of the great messages of the gospel is that the veil was torn. And that might not mean a lot to a lot of us, but it's a really big deal. Meaning before, remember, God was in in the temple and there was a veil and only the priest could go into this um, sacred spot to make sacrifices. No one else was allowed in there. But it says because of what Jesus has done and because of that relationship that we now have a personal relationship. The veil was torn to where now God's spirit lives inside of where? Right, all of us. So God dwells with his people. There are no longer sacred places, but sacred people. And that's a really big deal. That's a really big thing to grasp. Because think about how we talk about church. I'm going to talk about my personal experience now. This may not be yours, so don't get upset at me, okay? But this is just my personal experience. And if you do, email scott at fbc.org. He will take all those emails. But when, we, when I was growing up and I was at church, the way people would talk about it, room, me threw it off because they would call church what? Well, they would say it was God's house. Did, did you know this isn't God's house? Did you know that is Old Testament language speaking of the temple? This is not God's house. This is a church building. God now dwells where? In us. This idea of God's house and spiritual things over there, and my life and what I do over here, and I'll be spiritual when I go there, but I don't have to be spiritual when I'm not there leads to this idea of dualistic spirituality where we believe there's a sacred realm and a secular realm. That God cares about the spiritual things, and that's when I'm at church, right? I even got a good face and good clothes for that place, right? Y'all ever had church clothes? 
Y'all ever had a church face? Right, we got those in the closet for Sunday mornings only. I smile and I put these clothes on. We got a whole persona we do. But understanding that that veil was torn and that God is with us everywhere, meaning you can worship everywhere, can radically change your life because it changed mine. See, one of the things that really catapulted my spiritual life was understanding God can be with me and worship everywhere. Now, this may sound funny to you, but what really changed was when I found Christian hip-hop. Anybody listen to hip-hop? Nobody but me. Okay. All right, we got Eric back there. Got two of us. All right, y'all are afraid to be honest about hip-hop, okay? But when I found Christian hip-hop, that it changed my life because I listened to hip-hop. And so what I was taught is I go to church and I sing what? Church songs. And then I get in my car and I listen to everything but church songs. Anybody still do that? Don't raise your hand on that one, okay? But I would go to church and sing church songs and I would go to my regular life and listen to regular music. But when I found I could listen to regular music that I enjoyed and liked that worshiped God, oh man, I found myself crying on the way to work sometimes. You're like, you big baby. No, but I mean, it happened. To where I didn't have to come here to worship. I was worshiping all the time. I mean, all the time. I was getting my cup full all the time through music. Because music does something amazing. We can't explain it. It just does. So I would be driving to work, worshiping and singing and getting excited. I found new artists and things that could relate to that I understood. And it just radically changed my life. And do you know when I came to church for Sunday, I didn't need them to fill me because guess what I already was? I was already filled. I could come and give back. And worship wasn't about me on Sunday mornings because I worshiped all the time. I could listen to whatever they needed to play here on Sunday morning because as soon as I got my car, guess what I was going to do? I had two 12s in my car and everything. I mean, I would just jam. Anybody ever had 12s? Y'all don't know what I'm talking about? Big speakers? In the, anybody ever had those? We're just not on the same page today. That's okay. Some, some of us are just afraid to admit we've had stereo systems, Okay. But invite God, that's the point, let me come back on track. Invite God into every aspect to include your music. And now I try to listen to stuff I used to listen to. I'll have this nostalgic moment, like, oh, let me put on that song. Whew. I'm like, my mom was right. This stuff is terrible. I can't listen to it anymore because now I expect something different from music. You understand? I expect music to take me to the presence of God, even hip-hop. You're like, it can't happen, Brian. It can. So imagine if you invited God into your radio station. Imagine if you invited him into your TV show. We're like, Brian, off-limits art. I won't go there today. But imagine. Imagine if you invited him to your work, to your Friday nights, to those phone calls, to your internet, searching. Imagine if you invited God to come to these places with you, what could happen? Imagine if we invited him in our conversations daily. Like, hey, Lord, I'm going to work today. Prompt me. I want to talk about you. And what if we could talk about God instead of just saying God's good or something general, we, we, generic, we could really speak about how God's moving in our lives. Because we're inviting him. And we're, and we're invited, saying, come on, come with me. God, I'm, I'm going to this hard place today. You know my boss, you know my coworkers, they're terrible, I'm miserable. I need you to be there with me, God. Come on. Imagine what could happen. Because like any good relationship, and you know this, you gotta talk. You gotta listen. And you gotta involve them. 
And God wants to know you. And I know this is hard for you to fathom. I already told you this is hard for me to fathom. I told you that at the beginning, that God really wants to be involved like that, but he really, truly does. Because we have a personal God who's involved in and cares about your daily life. And if you draw near to him, he will come to us. So what's that next step you need to take? What's that next move that you need to make in order to draw closer to him, knowing he's going to show up in an amazing way in your life? Can you imagine the spiritual breakthroughs that are possible through that? Could you imagine the relationships that would be restored? Could you imagine the emotional and spiritual health that would be restored? I mean, you'd be amazed at what would happen if you had talked with them if you invited them into everything you did and listened to them. So this morning, I just want to challenge you with that. No guilt. Guilt does not lead to change. But being thankful and grateful does. And be thankful that we have a God who loves us enough to be involved in every single thing we do. Draw near to him this week. Watch what he does. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Father, I ask that you bless our efforts this week as we draw close to you. Father, let us see you working in our lives. God, let us see you in the everyday things, the little details, the things we take for granted. Let us see you in our relationships and our workplace and our music. Lord, we invite you to invade our lives. Father, here are our concerns through prayers and here are our hearts. Father, we ask you to just speak to us in a mighty way through your word this week. Honor that, Lord. Bless that. God, just come with us everywhere we go. Father, we just desire a deeper, intimate relationship with you. And we know all of that's possible because of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you so much that because of his death on the cross and his resurrection, we can be restored to you and we are redeemed and all of our sins are forgiven. Father, my prayer is that if anyone here doesn't know you, if they haven't given them your life, they haven't given you their life and accepted the sacrifice of Jesus, I pray that they make that decision today that you are a personal God who wrapped himself in flesh and came down to serve us. That's the first thing we have to do is accept that free gift of salvation through Jesus. Father, we love you and we thank you in advance. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.